Well, I'm I'm a bit excited today because I'm starting a new series, and uh, that's always exciting for me. Something I've been praying about, thinking about, working on, talking about incessantly for about a year. So I'm quite excited to be able to start this new series today. As you know, we've been working through the book of Matthew uh, for some time, and we will continue to do so to the end of my life by the look of it. And uh, we've been looking at the kingdom of God. That's our main subject. That's our overarching theme at the moment. And we're not really moving on from that. But as we sort of go through the book of Matthew, we're picking out different themes, different important aspects of the book. And uh, we've just been through the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. So we took almost a year over that. Uh, We're going to move on from that now, and I want to look at two themes that come either side of the Sermon on the Mount, and that is the theme of discipleship. So right at the beginning, before the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount starts, Jesus calls his disciples. As he starts to explain the Sermon on the Mount, as he starts to speak, he calls his disciples to him. And straight after the Sermon on the Mount, you see him calling more disciples. They gather around the Sermon on the Mount. And that's an important thing to notice. And I'm going to come back to that in a little while. So can you just turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4? I'm just going to read to you about the calling of Jesus' first disciples. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 22. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Come, Follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets, and Jesus called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So we're going to be talking about discipleship, especially over the next few months. So keep looking at it from different aspects because it's such a vast subject and it goes through the whole of the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew is the main place where we see Jesus discipling people. So we want to pick up on some of those themes. And I, I feel like it's very timely for us as a church. I feel like we're in a new season where time and time again, we're going to be hearing Jesus call us on mission to make disciples. I think that's what God is doing amongst us. Even some of the messages that come through, uh, Chris's message last week, time and time again, we keep hearing the call of Jesus uh, for discipleship. So uh, I just want to present to you, first of all, as a, by way of a kind of introduction, the case for discipleship. Because you see, Jesus never called us to build the church. I've said that before, time and time. He's called us to advance the kingdom, I've said. But Jesus never called us to build the church because that's his job. It's his job. She says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. No, our job, our only job is to go and make disciples of people everywhere. Jesus commanded us to do this and through The making of disciples, the kingdom of God is advanced throughout the world and 
the church gets built. Almost as an afterthought, the church gets built. Mike Breen, who's written a lot on discipleship, said this. He says, effective discipleship builds the church, not the other way around. He says, if you set out to build the church, there is no guarantee that you will make disciples. That's quite startling, isn't it? Do I need to read that again? Shall I read that again for you? Effective discipleship builds the church, not the other way around. If you set out to build the church, there is no guarantee that you will make disciples. You know, you can work incredibly hard on putting on a good a good meeting, good worship, all of these things, gathering a group of people, but there's no guarantee that that group of people that you've gathered are actually disciples of Jesus, radical disciples of Jesus. And I, I feel like God is calling us to this emphasis in this next season to find out what making disciples is all about and then to do it. And this is for all of us. You know, none of us are excluded from Jesus' command to go and make disciples. Every one of us are involved in this. But for various reasons, I think especially in the Western church, we've not done this very well or not done it at all in some instances. And we've defaulted to structuring or building churches where leaders are expected to take the majority of the responsibility, which is not what Jesus said at all. That's not what Jesus said. And I think there are several reasons for this, uh, why this has happened. I think sometimes it's just a lack of teaching, uh, a lack of understanding. You know, I never knew I was meant to be doing this. I never knew that that was my job. Uh, it's a lack of teaching, um, although I mean that to the extent of there's a lack of teaching in that we haven't been told to do it or encouraged to do it, but there's a lack of teaching in that we don't understand that we've actually already been doing it but we've never called it that. So, for example, raising kids is discipleship. Raising kids is discipleship. Putting on a toddler group and seeing mums come week after week and talking to them and helping them is discipleship. Going to work and helping a friend in a crisis who doesn't know Jesus yet, you're discipling them. So I think there's a lack of teaching, but we're probably doing it more than we realize and hope that you're going to see that a bit more clearly as we go through this series. And also, I think the other reason is a lack of time. So we haven't prioritized it because we're too busy. And that's what the full time people are meant to be doing. Well, I hope to show you in the coming coming weeks that you don't even need extra time to do discipleship. You just need to be more intentional about it as you go around your daily life. And then thirdly, I think the other reason why we've not done this is because of previous bad experiences, especially when churches try to do it together to create a kind of discipleship movement. It's been done badly. There have been problems. So things like uh, control or heavy shepherding, you'll think of perhaps if you've been around the church at any time. Um, and it can make us a bit cautious. We don't want to get involved in that kind of thing. We don't want anything to do with it. <laughs> And uh, just to pick up on that last one, I think that's why Jesus put his discipleship in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. He bookended the Sermon on the Mount with discipleship. He gathered his disciples around the Sermon on the Mount. He set out his kingdom manifesto. He defined their culture and how kingdom life was meant to be done before he even started discipleship. It was all 
built around that. And there's no doubt about it that discipleship, if it's to be done as a culture, as a corporate style of doing church, it needs to be done in the context of a healthy church culture where the aim is to draw the good out of one another. For example, through honor. We honor one another. We pull the good out of one another, not condemning them. It's got to be done in a place where relationships can be authentic. So it's okay if I mess up and I make mistakes because actually we all do. And there's no superiority because we're all part of the family of God and we all mess up from time to time. We need to have a culture that's authentic so that discipleship can flourish amongst us. We also need to have a passionate love for Jesus. It's not about controlling people and trying to make them do things. It's actually we're all passionately in love with Jesus. And all of us, we want everyone to be excited about Jesus. If that's a motivation, if that's part of our culture, you're going to end up with a healthy culture of discipleship. Does that make sense? And so this is the journey that we're on. It's a journey, okay? That's what discipleship is. Well, we're on a church journey as well to work out what discipleship means for us as a church. Now, I just want to say I often stand at the front of church, do vision talks and all the rest and say I haven't a clue what I'm doing. Absolutely true. I don't have a clue how we're going to do this. Uh, we're still trying to work some things out. We want to be led by the Holy Spirit, and we believe that he's teaching us step by step what to do next. And that's what we're looking for. We're consulting widely and asking lots of other people who've done this. But actually, this, we believe, is a crucial part of the next bit of the foundation stone of Jubilee Church. This is a crucial part of our culture that we want to build an extension onto for where we go in the future of the church. So we're taking one step at a time. And I'd love to know what you think. I'd love to know what you think, uh, what you feel about this, any thoughts you've got on it as we teach through this series. But we are really journeying with God to show us how we do this. So what I want to do today is just make a start. And I want to talk about the what of discipleship. What is discipleship? And we're going to just look at Jesus, really, because he knows everything. So we want to follow what he does. And we're going to look at this passage that I've already read to you. And the first thing that you can see in discipleship is that there is a call that goes out. Come, he says, follow me. And many of you will remember the first time you heard that call. Can you remember the first time you heard that call from Jesus to come and follow me? Anybody help me? Lots of people. I just wondered if we had any Christians here, um, any disciples of Jesus. I was around four years old when I first heard that call uh, to serve Jesus, to give him my life and to invite him into my heart. It was very vivid. Even today, I remember the moment when it happened. It was a crisis decision, and I knew that there was no other way to live. From four years old, and like 44 years old, I'm still, 44 years on, I should say, I'm still learning how to follow Jesus. It may have been different for you at a different stage. I know for Alison, she was a teenager when she heard that call. And many of you will have had a different experience as well. But this is when it happened for this group of fishermen. It was in the middle of the business day. Jesus, it says, was just walking along the beach and he makes this invitation. Come, follow me. And you just think, oh my goodness. 
the call to follow Jesus can happen anywhere, at any time. And Jesus is walking through businesses today and he's saying, come on, follow me. He's walking even through churches and saying, come on, follow me. He's walking through school playgrounds, office places, schools, and he's saying, come follow me. The invitation is still there. It can happen anywhere. It can even happen in a dream. You know, many Muslim people at the moment are hearing Jesus say, come follow me in dreams. A man I met up with this week had that invitation in a vision. He was literally about to kill himself. He says, I, this was the third attempt. And he says, and I was really serious. Some of you all know this guy. I was really serious, he said. And he said, each time I got up and I stood down, I put the, neck, the noose around my neck. And I said, Jesus, if you're real, then show yourself to me. He said this. Twice, nothing happened. How risky is God? And then on the third time, this was over a day, on the third time, he stood on this crate, he put it around his neck, and he was absolutely, this is it now. I'm not wasting my time anymore. What is the point? And he said, Jesus, you've got one more chance. And he was just about to step off the crate when he felt a touch on his head. And he felt warmth go through his body. And Jesus appeared to him in a vision and said, follow me. Or words to that effect. I saw him after five years. He's still walking with Jesus. It's absolutely amazing. It can happen anywhere. So Jesus is walking along the beach. He calls to these businessmen. And it says immediately they left their nets to follow him to be apprenticed to him in another trade altogether, fishing for men. Apprenticed to Jesus. Imagine that. Imagine having your apprenticeship with Jesus. You know, as fishermen, they they would have completely got what Jesus was saying. I mean, they would no doubt have been trained in the family business. They would have been trained to be fishermen from a very young age or in the family business. They knew how to do the nets, how to put the hook on or whatever it is that fishermen do. They knew it because they'd learnt it watching their fathers and their fathers had watched their fathers. So when Jesus says, come, follow me, I'm going to apprentice you. I'm choosing you to come into my father's business. I want you to come and make disciples with me. I want to show you how to make disciples. And come and see me, come and journey with me. It's not an academic approach. It's watch me and learn what I do. Fishermen got that. It's that simple. Because discipleship is really about, fundamentally what it's about is imitate me. Imitate me. You see it with children, they do it. They imitate their parents. We had some friends called the Saddlers, and I remember going to the house when the children were small, and one of the things they loved to do was play church. They'd dress up, they put on their mum's high heels and headscarves, because they wore headscarves in those days, and they got their, their Bibles out and all that, and they would sing, and, and then one of the kids would stand up and he'd pretend to preach. They imitated their parents. They all love Jesus now, by the way. Matt was at the uh, conference here last week leading worship. He was the one who used to stand at the front and preach to his sisters. <laughs> imitation, imitation. It's a powerful way to learn. It's actually how I learned to be a lawyer. So as you probably know, I was 20 years in the law, but I never went to university. 
I actually learned completely by imitation. I managed to get an apprenticeship to an amazing lawyer in Exeter in Devon. And I learned how to be a lawyer by shadowing him. It was an incredible privilege to watch him in action, to go into court and watch him, to listen, and and just to immerse myself. It was training by immersion in the legal world. And it was quite funny, actually, because as time went on, I even got to sound like my boss. Uh, When I was on the phone, I would imitate, not consciously, but I would sound like him. And sometimes I walked down the hall and I would say something and people, the staff would think he was coming because I sounded like him. I even began to dress like him. So maybe I needed to get out of there. It was getting a bit too much. But I learned so much just from imitation. I learned how to write. I learned how to think. Uh, During my process of my training, he would fine me for saying anything presumptuous. And he made a fortune out of me. As he was training me, he would discipline me in that way. And I got to be pretty good at my job. And when I started to do the academic training, it all made sense because I'd actually been practicing it anyway. Of course, it doesn't always work so well. Apprenticeships, because, you know, we're not perfect and we're not perfect copies. So my daughter has recently started learning how to drive. And she says, Dad, I realize you have some pretty bad habits when you drive. (laughs) And so she starts sitting next to both of us now, correcting us. Well, she's never corrected Alison, but she'll correct us on gear changing, revving the engine, using the steering wheel, push-pull, push-pull. I just do this. (laughs) So sometimes in the context of even discipleship, you can inadvertently pick up some bad habits. But this doesn't exclude the benefits of learning from others, from being discipled by others. There's a phrase that's just kept going around as I've been looking at this subject, that none of us are perfect examples, but we can be living examples to one another. Living examples who direct people to Jesus. That's what we want to be. We're not perfect examples. Just be honest about that. I don't get everything right. But come and see me, come and be with me, come and watch me. That's fine, but I'm not perfect, but I will keep directing you to Jesus. That's what it's about. And I think this has been one of the uh, mistakes perhaps has been made in the discipleship movement in the past, the human factor. But you see, since the resurrection, we're obliged to follow no one else other than Jesus. Did you know that? So you might be discipled by the most amazing person you've ever met, But if they don't direct you to Jesus, they're selling you short. We can only be ultimately disciples of Jesus because that's what Jesus left his disciples with in the Great Commission to go and make disciples who obey what? Everything that I've taught you. (laughs) Not what I say to you. I might have some great ideas for your life. But if it isn't what Jesus is saying to you, you shouldn't do it. Shouldn't do it. Or wait until Jesus confirms it. Go and tell them, teach them everything that I tell you to do. So although Paul says in one part of early Corinthians, that famous phrase where he says, imitate me, imitate me. And I've always thought, oh my goodness, that's so bold. Imagine saying that to your church, imitate me. But the context of that passage is, I'm a father to you. 
So just like children imitate their parents and imitate me. That's the context. He goes on to say later on, he expands on it in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1, and he says, I want you to follow my example. Literally, the word example there is that of a mold that you press things into to catch its shape. I want you to follow my example as I imprint myself onto Christ. As I follow Christ. As I follow the example of Christ, then follow me. And if I'm not doing that, don't. (laughs) That's the implication. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Does that make sense? That was a really good point. Being apprenticed to Jesus, just follow Jesus. So what does discipleship involve? And over the series, I want to start to give you some handles on learning to live like Jesus. That's what it is. It's about growing in your relationship with him to become like him and to do what he does. And so discipleship takes place in three dimensions. So, you know, like you get 4HD, you get 3D, three, three dimensions, four dimensions. This is 3D discipleship, three dimensions of discipleship. Oh, I'm going to draw this. Look at this. So here we've got, this is me drawing. I'm going to try and draw you a different thing every time we talk about this. So anybody recognize what that is? This is a triangle. Very good. So this is... This is 3D discipleship. And this is the up. This is the up dimension, which is about being connected to God. And this is the in, which is about growing in maturity and growing to be like him. And this is the out. Which is going on mission. It's doing what he does. And I want to talk about each of these three dimensions and uh, explain them to you. And I hope this is going to help you when you think about, well, how do I get discipled by Jesus? And how do I help other people in their journey of discipleship. Well, this is the beginning. The first one is the up, the up, being connected with God. If you are a disciple of Jesus, then your first priority is to look up. It's to learn how to connect with the Father like Jesus did. That's your first priority to connect with God. And we see this in Jesus' invitation to these first disciples to come and be with him to come and be close with him, to come and live with him, to come and follow him. It's, it's an invitation for connection with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That's the up. Because if we're connected to Jesus, you see, it starts with Jesus. He's our Savior. It starts with Jesus, but if we're connected to Jesus, he will always talk about his Father. You know, it says that in the Gospels. He will always talk about his father and he introduces us to his father. And then if we come to the father, do you know what he does? He fills us with the Holy Spirit because Jesus, I go to my father and he's going to send the Holy Spirit. And then do you know what the spirit does? If you connect it to the spirit, he keeps going on about Jesus 
all the time. And you've got this relationship that goes around and keeps us connected to God. This is the up dimension. So it's about how we're doing in those crucial connections. And there are all kinds of things, you see, that can get in the way of that connection. They can make it difficult for us. They can become blockages in our relationship, either as we go along or as we come to Christ in the first place. So things can happen in our lives to make us withdraw from God. So as we're going along, disappointment can come in. You say things like, God, why did you let that happen? You know, I prayed about that. Why didn't you answer my prayer? Disappointment that we need to deal with because it becomes a blockage in our relationship with God. Or it can be an area of perpetual sin that we're struggling with. We try over and over again, but we just can't break out of that cycle. An area of of sin, and then that leads into condemnation, and then we feel disconnected from God. Or it can be unforgiveness. You know, that is the most common one that I've discovered in pastoral ministry, is it's unforgiveness. You find that it will go back. They felt disconnected since they had that argument with their wife, their husband, their friends, somebody in the church, somebody in the family. Unforgiveness. They've been hurt by somebody else. And even unforgiveness of themselves. They did something that they regret and they can't move on because they can't even forgive themselves. And yet Jesus will forgive them, but they can't forgive themselves. Unforgiveness. And this blockage comes in and it stops the flow of our relationship and we begin to withdraw from God. This is the up dimension. Or it can be that we've never connected properly with different parts of the Godhead because of things in our past. So we might find it easier, for example, to connect with Jesus because we know that we need our sins forgiven. (laughs) That one's easy. Great, I connect to Jesus, he forgives my sins. But I I struggle in connecting to the Father because I've had problems with my earthly Father that's left me with a problem with my heavenly Father. And so there's a need for healing, there's a need for restoration in that. And so, I mean, I find in that connection, I've talked about this often, the Father's heart ministry and that kind of thing, which is so important to us. But I found that this happens in stages. You know, I've had a good upbringing and I've still got stuff I've got to process, stuff I've got to work in. Just recently, it just even the last couple of weeks, this is bang up to date stuff. God is doing work in my heart regarding affirmation. So I've got the love language of affirmation. I need affirmation. Do you know, I just want to tell you, I need encouragement, everybody. So please do feel free to encourage me, but not in such a way that it becomes unhealthy. Sometimes we can get unhealthy in our need for affirmation or encouragement and we forget that actually our affirmation has got to come from the Father. It's got to come from the fact of the well done of the Father. We were away um, on retreat as a leadership team and we just spent, uh, I think, hours, I don't know how many hours, it was a long time, prophesying over one another, praying for one another. That's just part of our day together. And the guy started prophesying over me, well done, well done. You've done so well. This is from the Spirit of God. He says, well done. And much to my shock, I cried my eyes out. I bawled my eyes out. And it was the beginning of a process of God healing something in me that I didn't even know was there. It's a process. 
connection with the Father is a process and he reveals it as part of the discipleship relationship. And he says, come follow me. Will you, will you follow me in this as well? Will you let me affirm you? Will you let me love you? Or it may be the Holy Spirit, the relationship with the Holy Spirit. One of the ways you know that the relationship with the Holy Spirit is struggling a bit is prayer life. You can look at your prayer life and say, ah, oh, it's really dull. There's nothing going on there. I just hardly ever pray. It's really dry. That's a lack of connection to the Holy Spirit. Or there's a lack of power, a sense of confidence in God. It's low. And so, you know, this isn't very uncommon depending on your teaching background in the church as well. So Paul, on one occasion, goes on a trip in Acts chapter 19, and he finds there's a load of Christians who've never been taught about the Holy Spirit, (laughs) never knew that they could have the Holy Spirit living inside of them or being with them. And so he had to teach them again, and they received the Holy Spirit again. So this is the up dimension, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. How's your connection doing? How are you connecting to the Father? How are you connecting to God? How is it at the moment? How well do you know God? How well do you know him? How close are you to him at the moment? And if you're feeling distant, guess who moved? (laughs) If you're feeling distant, guess who moved? What are some of the blockages? What are some of the things that are coming in the way? Are you learning to enjoy him? This is the upward connection. You're learning to be with him. That's the up, to look up, to connect with God. So that's the first one. The second one is the in. The in dimension, growing to be like him. And this is about developing our character and our understanding of who we are in Christ. And Jesus' invitation is to follow me. It's to come, to see, and to hear, but to do also. To do what I do. To be who I am. So Jesus' invitation isn't just to educate these fishermen, but to radically change their lives. (laughs) Completely change their lives. You know, there were some other rabbis around at the time. They would take students and they would educate them in the law. But Jesus said something incredible. He said, look, everybody who does what I tell them to do, whoever puts these words of mine into practice, he's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. In other words, we need to do what Jesus says. (laughs) He needs to be Lord of our lives. We need to obey him. We need to build. I mean, to build on the rock means to start again. It literally means to found ourselves on a new foundation on what Jesus says, and to obey him. It means to align our lives with this new identity, because, excuse me, if you, it's okay if you get excited at this point. All right. We've got this new identity. We're no longer sinners. We're saints. It's okay to be excited about that. We're no longer sinners, but saints. We are new creations how many, how many people know that the old has gone and the new has come? Because we're new creations. We are royal sons. How many people know that this is the royal family of God here today? 
that we are part of the royal family so you can hold your head up high and you can walk with dignity because your dignity has been restored as a royal son of God or daughter if you like. You have authority because of that. You're a heavenly citizen. You're no longer an English person or wherever else you come from, Indian person or whoever else you come from. Wherever else we come from, wherever we're born or from the Midlands, we're heavenly citizens. We have a citizenship that is in heaven. And we're ambassadors of Christ. We represent him. That's the in-dimension. That's the in-dimension. It starts with understanding who we are now in God. It's about, and then it follows that there's a radical lifestyle, a radical obedience to Jesus, which means a daily renewing of our minds with truth because everything about us has got to change. You know that, don't you? You don't just come to Jesus and feel better because your sins are forgiven. You come to Jesus and everything about us has to change. It's radical. Everything. It's not just tinkering around the edges of behavior. It's not being Christianized to dress better, look better, sound better. It's a radical change. A completely new identity. A completely new foundation. Because Jesus wants to reform us into his image. He wants to take us into the plan that he has for our lives. So is he Lord of your life like that? Is he Lord of your life? Do you obey what he tells you to do? And it's not just about behaviors either. As we've seen in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is interested in changing not just what we do, but the way that we do it and why we do it. He's interested in our motives. So he says, do not commit adultery. But even to be lustful is to do the same thing. He says, don't kill, but even to hate your brother means you've murdered them in your hearts. So following Jesus is about a radical transformation that starts from the inside out. It's not just about behaving right, but being right. It means being like him. If you follow Jesus, if he disciples you, what he will do is make you like God. Wow. Make you like him. That's some discipleship, isn't it? That's how it was right at the beginning. He says, we're going to make them in our image. They're going to look like us. And this is what Jesus is about in the new creation. So that when we see him, we will be like him. So as a disciple of Jesus, you'll find that there are some things that you can't do anymore. Not because there's a law that says you can't do them. You just don't want to do them anymore. Your appetite changes. It's not can't, but don't want to. There's some places that you won't want to go to anymore that just a while before you were comfortable with. It's okay to go there. But now, I just don't want to be in that place. It doesn't do it for me anymore. To be like him. Behaviors that you'll want to change. Desperately, I don't want to be that way anymore. Actually, when people say that to me, that excites me because that's a work of God's grace in our hearts. That means you're actually born again when you're not satisfied with the state that you're currently in. It's people that continue in sin that worry me. 
and then try to apply the grace of God. Because actually when you encounter him, when you're discipled by him, he puts his finger on things and you don't want them anymore. You want them to change. And you say, God, change me. God, heal me. God, changed that reaction in me. I shouldn't have reacted like that. So the key question here is, how is your character? Are you believing about yourself what God says about you is true? Is he Lord of your life? Are you growing in the likeness of Christ? Third dimension is the out. The out. It's doing what he does. It's learning to fulfill our calling, which is to partner with God to change the world around you. Just a small thing then. It's about bringing God's kingdom to earth. It's about living on mission with Jesus. So we see this as Jesus comes alongside his disciples. He says, come and follow me. I'm going to make you into someone. <laughs> That's what he says. I'm going to make you into someone. I'm going to radically change your life. Not just fishermen of fish, fishermen of men, fishermen. I'm going to radically change. And he did such a good job that a bit later on, the disciples are boasting about who's the greatest. And, G- and they're doing it in the presence of Jesus and they're not even ashamed. Such was something that he did about putting something in them that they understood what it was to be true disciples is to be great. <laughs> to be great. <laughs> I love that. I think that's really cool. He says, I'm going to give you something to reproduce. I'm going to give you light, your life's purpose and meaning. He says, I'm going to make you fishers of man. So they immediately left their nets. They left their livelihood. They left their businesses in the sand. As Peter would later say to Jesus, we've left everything for you. And then in verse 23, they begin the great mission of the kingdom, teaching about the kingdom, preaching the good news, healing every disease and sickness among the people. We're going to come to a close very shortly, but I want you to hang on in here for this. The disciples of Jesus, we are disciples of Jesus, are not called to sit in pews or nice chairs. We're not called to live sedentary lives of ineffectiveness. We're called to mission. We're called to reproduce. We're called to give life. True disciples of Jesus are called to change the world. That's not arrogance. That's obedience. We're called to change the world. And I just want to say this with all the love of my heart that I'm also saying to myself, it's time to stop looking in the mirror at our lives, trying to get everything right with ourselves and sort it out. I had a revelation recently that, um, you know, in some of the holiness teaching from the past that I imbibed, the main message of the coming of the Holy Spirit was the Holy Spirit came to sanctify you. He came to make you clean. And so my preoccupation for so many years inadvertently is, Holy Spirit, sort me out. (laughs) Actually, the Holy Spirit's primary reason for coming (laughs) was to make you a witness, to make you a witness for him. He didn't come to make us holy, he came to make us witnesses. And if we're to turn a little from the mirror, we'll see a great window of desperation in the whole world that needs to be forgiven, healed, and changed by the very power that lives in us. The same power that raised up Jesus from the dead now lives in me. And the world needs to know that, needs to know that resurrection power. So how are we doing with that? 
where we live, where we work, in your family, in your community. And it's not like we need to do anything radically different. Jesus doesn't call all of us to leave everything, but he does call all of us to be someone and to do something. Amen? So do you know who you are? And do you know who you're connected to? Then do what you're called to do and change the world. And we're going to keep coming back to that. Um, sometimes, you know, we're not even aware of the influence that we have. I just had a great uh, conversation with Steve Muneer. Several very great conversations with Steve Muneer recently. And he was just talking about the job that he has. He's been in social work for more than 30 years. And, he's, you know, you sometimes wonder when you're in these big organizations and they go through difficulties... Am I really making a difference? Do I really have any influence? And he wrote this to me. I had to get him to write it down because I didn't understand what he was saying because it's so technical. But I'm going to read this to you. He says, I've been very encouraged that the values and approach I have developed for my therapeutic service have become very much the values and approach of the whole of children's social care in Birmingham. Did you get that? There's more, there's more. So he goes on to say, so my service is in the mainstream of what is happening rather than out on a limb. I'm not aware of any direct influence I've had on that. It largely comes from our new director. Hence, it could simply be coincidental. Right. (laughs) But encouraging anyway. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Faithfully, 30 years plugging away there. And the whole thing follows what the kingdom of God is doing. So the key question as you look at the world around you is what is Jesus asking you to do and what is he stopping what is stopping you from doing it? And then the question from each of us isn't rather why haven't you done it yet? It's actually well how can I help you with that? What you've put in what God has put in your heart, how can I serve you? How can I support you? How can I encourage you? With that. So, what is Jesus asking you to do? And what are you going to do about doing it? Let me just finish with this the mission call for Jubilee. As a church, we've spent a lot of time over the last few years concentrating on the up, the Father Heart Ministry, identity, uh, no, the Father Heart Ministry, healing, connection to the Father. And the in, that's identity, that's understanding who we are in Christ. We've spent a lot of time on that, we've needed to, and that's how God has led us. He's been healing us through the Father's Heart message, affirming us through the identity series, and creating a church with a healthy culture that will enable discipleship to flourish. Do you get that? That's how he's been leading us. We've been preparing for this inadvertently, not realizing we have maybe, but we have. And now is the time for the out. That's where God is taking us now. And it's, it's time to go on an adventure with Jesus and consciously seek to join him in mission. And it starts with making disciples, learning how to do that here, practicing on one another, and then making disciples who make disciples, which is the mission of God for the world. He's already at work, you know, wherever we go. 
Jesus says we've just got to lift up our eyes and see where the harvest is and pray for the workers to go out. So if you ever wondered what God has called you to do with your life, here it is. We're called to make disciples <laughs> and to grow ourselves so that we all have lives that those around us can imitate. How about that for a mission statement for your life? Grow so that we all have lives that others around us want to imitate. So are you ready to join the revolution? To go on an adventure? To follow Jesus wherever he might take you? He might take you to another nation. He might take you to your neighbor's house. Or he might, or you might find yourself eating food in a Bolty house in Birmingham and the manager comes to you and he says, what do I do about the ghosts in my house? <laughs> and you just think, I'm just out with my family having a Bolty and you want to know about how to get deliverance in your family. That's what it is. We're on mission with Jesus and who knows what could happen next. So when it comes, when the call comes, I want to ask you, will you follow? If you haven't made that decision to follow Jesus yet, I want to ask you to make that decision. It's the greatest adventure you will ever go on. There's an adventure where Jesus is walking by. I believe he's walking by today and he's saying, come on, follow me. I'm going to take you on an adventure. It might be Australia you go to. It might be social services. It might be the workplace, the business world, or it might be your neighbor's house. Are we going to follow him? The invitation is come and follow. There might be some nets you need to leave that you've tangled yourself up in. Some responsibilities that have overwhelmed you. Some priorities that need to be made. Here's the invitation. Come and follow.